All right. So we looked at Isaiah chapter six verses or chapter nine, verse six and seven. And we have this prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. And I want to settle it up right now for once and for all. Who is the real Jesus? Because to some, we serve a Jesus with a machine gun that looks like Rambo. Y'all remember Rambo? And it's Rambo Jesus, the Avenger. To some, he's hippie granola Jesus that is always just giving. He's Jesus who always gives hugs. Remember that creepy guy at your youth group that said, hey, where's my hug? (laughs) Remember that guy? Always wearing a fedora. Hey, where's my hug? Is that funny to you? (laughs) He's losing it over here. (laughs) He's like, what am I doing? (laughs) We have Jesus, this granola philosophical teacher Jesus, like, you know, the Jesus that has good moral lessons, you know, the Jesus that John Maxwell got his leadership principles from and made a million dollars on books and you know, that Jesus, right? But I want to settle it for once and for all, because I want us to go into this fall and I want us to continue as a church that not only serves the real Jesus, but knows him. I mean, we, we really went to church for years and years and we've received so much more culture than we have the kingdom. So have you received culture or the kingdom today? Have you met Jesus before? Or have you experienced a Jesus-flavored existence? You know, I was talking about manifestations of the Spirit, and one of our very own V1 church members was in the broadcast chat, and he said he felt convicted and actually took a Jesus chain that he's had on for over 30 years off of his chest because he realized that the Jesus that's depicted on that cross was never the real Jesus because he's not on that cross anymore. Jesus is not on the cross. You all know that, right? And he was like, I've been wearing this as a form of idolatry because I served the Jesus of the religion I was raised in, but I've met the real one and he's alive. He's, and, and Satan loves the depiction of the crucifixion. It's the resurrection that he can't stand. I mean, Jesus was one of many, many people crucified all on that day. The crucifixion felt like the greatest victory. But it was the resurrection that proved I'm not Buddha, I'm not Muhammad, I'm Jesus Christ. Because people argue, is Jesus a prophet? Is Jesus a guru? I want to introduce you to the real Jesus so we can proceed. Now let's talk about this though. Pastor Mike Shirley, a figure of his magnitude, would have left an archaeological trail. So if you're taking notes... (laughs) There is no archeological evidence of Christ's existence. As a matter of fact, most of the artifacts that are housed in different locations that people claim are artifacts from Jesus' life have all been debunked. We don't have an archeological uh, record of the existence of Jesus, but that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It just simply means we don't have it. As a matter of fact, for somebody at his layer of society, which he came from a working class family. He received a trade from his, his stepdad, Joseph. You know, Jesus had a stepdad too, right? And that you can tell that to your friends. Well, Jesus had a stepdad too. Joseph was a stepdad. And there was this, and so oftentimes from working class people, there was no archaeological evidence of their existence because it took an incredible amount of wealth and influence and stature to ever create enough items that they would survive 2,000 years. So if you're a person who's saying, and I don't know if you know this, and I want to say this to the parents, did you know that there is a movement among the young people that they do not believe that Jesus ever existed? Did you guys know this? And the problem is they're watching YouTube and they're watching people perpetuate lies They don't want to spend $5,000 a class for an MDiv and read peer-reviewed scientific articles and actually do the real work. They just, they they have clout chasers on YouTube that are um, growing these channels and making videos talking about stuff they don't know how to talk, that they don't know what they're talking about. And our young people are watching this thinking that Jesus didn't even exist at all, which is foolery. But next, there's not just archaeological evidence, there's historic records. So there have always been historians that have given an account of both what they've experienced as well as what they've heard. So there, is, there are 
a couple of significant historic records that talk about the existence of Jesus. The first one is a Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, who according to one person said, it's far and away our best source of information about first century Israel, okay? So this is the time of Jesus. And, it twi- and, and now in the ra- writings of Josephus, it twice mentions Jesus, okay? Now, let me just read this to you. Thought to have been born a few years after the crucifixion of Jesus, around 37 AD, you have this historian. Josephus was a well-connected aristocrat and military leader in what's now known as Palestine, so it's the same is this region around Israel, who served as a commander in Galilee during the first Jewish revolt against Rome between 66 and 70 AD. Okay, so Josephus was not a follower of Jesus, but he was around when the early church was getting started. So when you read the book of Acts, and you read, which is the Acts of the Apostles, so it's the works that the first century church was doing in the earth, you actually are given an account by Josephus, okay? And here, here's one passage. It recounts an unlawful execution, and he identifies the victim by the name of James as the brother who, of Jesus who was called the Messiah, okay? And so I'm gonna give you another account briefly and then we're gonna move on. Another account of Jesus appears in, the, the, in another account, uh, the first century histor- history of the Roman Empire written around 111, or 116 AD by the Roman senator and historian Tacitus, Okay, so you have this other account trying to find, this is what he says, the person commonly called Christians who were hated for their uh, enormities and then Christus, the founder of, uh, of, of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, uh, a procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. So you have two historians that give their account around the same time as the early church of the existence of Jesus. And now even within the two evidences that I've provided for you, there is a lot of debate about whether or not Christian historians went back and even changed what was written. And so we really don't know. We really don't know, okay? And so it's important to understand that if you're looking for a working class basically poor Jewish families, archaeological um, artifacts, you're not going to find it. And any church that claims to have a shroud or a trinket or a crown of thorns is just straight up lying. I'm just going to tell you. If you're looking for historic records, there's only two that briefly mentioned James, the brother of Jesus, who was the so-called Messiah. And then, you know, it talks about in another one, this, this crucifixion, okay? You're not going to find these definitive external sources that not only confirm the existence of Jesus, but rather prove uh, who he was and what he was about. But I wanna read something by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, which says the following. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. And they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either either this man was and is the man of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, was not, he has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. So anybody 
And I hear this all the time on Long Island. I'm, I'm wrestling with my faith. I have great things to learn from this moral teacher, Jesus. Actually, he never gave you that option because you, he would not be, by logic, a great moral teacher if he claimed to be God 100%. It would make him a lunatic, and why would you ever learn morality from a lunatic? Do you all hear me today? So uh, let's kind of go through some notes briefly. First, he is called God in flesh. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Okay, if you were to ever get into debate with a Muslim, they will tell you that Jesus never said he was God. And Christians who are not properly taught the Bible or don't sit under teaching like this may, may look at scripture and say, wow, I guess they're right, but in fact, they're wrong because in John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I am the father, uh, I and the father are one. And at first glance, you might not be thinking this is a claim that he's God, but you have to take it back to the context of Judaism. They tried to kill him for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. This is John chapter 10, verse 33. So the Jews understood that he was calling himself God so much so that they wanted to kill him for blasphemy. The Jews understand Jesus' statement as a claim to be God in these verses that I just listed because Jesus never corrects the Jews or attempts to clarify his statement. He never says, hey, hey, I didn't claim to be God. He never clarifies his statement. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one in John 10, 30, he truly was claiming equality with God. So to all of your friends that are, and, and this is what we see. You have friends, oh, well, I'm a Christian and you're a Muslim and, and we can agree to disagree. If you are truly a Christian, you cannot agree that Christ was only a prophet when Christ himself claimed to be equal with God. That's blasphemy and it's offensive to your Muslim friend and it also indicates you have not read and studied his word because he claimed to be equal with God. Are you still with me? Okay, write this down next in your notes. In John 8, 58, Jesus claims pre-existence, which is an attribute of God. He says, I tell you the truth, before Adam was born, I am. He claims pre-existence. This is important. We have to understand who the true Jesus is. Jesus was not created as the result of the coming together of Joseph and Mary or Mary and someone else under scandal that they tried to cover up. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and it was a miraculous event that enabled him to be 100% man and 100% God. And any claim other than what I just said is demonic in its origin. Satan is always trying to remove the deity of Christ because it would nullify the effect of the cross. But Jesus died 100% human and 100% God to redeem and ransom you because the wages of sin is death. That means we all deserve it for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so how did you receive eternal life he took your place for what you deserved but to but to say that he was not conceived by Mary by the Holy Spirit with Mary is to remove his deity and nullify the cross and that that is demonic in and of itself so to call him a great moral teacher and to deny his deity the origins of that statement is demonic in and of itself I'm preaching bold right now y'all he claims pre-existence before Abraham was, I was. In response to the statement, the Jews took up stones to kill him in John 8, 59. In claiming pre-existence, Jesus applied a name for God for, to himself. He said, I am. The Jews reject, rejected Jesus' identity as God incarnate, but they understood exactly what he was saying. There was no confusion. Okay. Thomas the disciple declared to Jesus, my Lord and my God, and Jesus did not correct him. He literally said, you are my God. Do you hear that? So if Thomas had to say, you're my Lord and my God, 
How can you say he's only your teacher and not your Lord and God as well? How can you say that it's an option to do his commands? And this is what I'm trying to shift our church in. We are gonna be known as the church that does the commands of Jesus because we believe his full deity. We believe his holiness. We believe his preeminence and preexistence. We believe every bit about who he truly is. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He didn't correct him. The apostle Paul describes Jesus in Titus chapter two, verse 13, as our savior. He says, our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. So do not reduce Jesus below being fully God. Jesus is not your friend. He is your great God who has chosen to be your friend. Jesus is not just given hugs because he loves you. He's trying to bring you to a place of commitment and surrender so that you receive him as your God, your master, your king. Too many people want Jesus their friend, but not Jesus their king. When he's your friend, you do what your friends tell you to do, and you don't do what your friends tell you to do. When Jesus is your friend, his commands are an option, but when he's your king, there's a penalty. We treat our officers in the United States like our friends, but they're not our friends. They have to back the law of the land, and there are consequences for treating an officer like your friend and not an ambassador of the law. Am I right? There's a spirit of lawlessness and rebellion that's running rampant and it's akin to the Antichrist. And there are people that treat your pastor like you're your friend because your pastor took you out to dinner to become your friend. But I'm not your friend. I'm a friend to your future. I'm a friend to your purpose. I'm a friend to your destiny. I'm a friend to your calling. And I've got to say some things that if you treat it like an option, you have to forsake your future, forsake your purpose, forsake your calling. I'm trying to install something right now. Do you feel it? Who is the real Jesus? We got to cut this nonsense. And this is a side note. He wasn't white. Now, don't get mad, white people. I'm just saying. Billy Graham said he, he belonged to a place in the world that all the world finds its origins in which means that he belongs to the whole world. The white people are less mad. They're like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1.1 1, 1 says the word was God. Coupled with John 1.14, which says the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Now, why is it important to say that in the beginning was the word? Let's talk about kings and kingdoms because we don't have kings and kingdoms. We have constitutions. And so presidents get voted in and they die. They, they get voted in. They, you know, this is how, but ultimately the constitution is the law. It's the word. But see, in a kingdom, the king's decree is the law. So in the beginning was the word. In other words, everything that God said he is and everything he is, he said. It's perfect unity, perfect integrity to what he says. That's why the Bible says God is not like man that he would lie because he's in perfect unity with his promises, with his word, and he cannot repent of his word because he would never say it unless he was going to accomplish it and do it and live it and be it through you, in you, through your life. It's, we don't even hardly understand it. So in the beginning was the word. God the Father bears witness of Jesus' identity as well. Go to Hebrews chapter one, verse eight. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. This is God talking about Jesus in, a, in, in, in Hebrew chapter one, verse eight. But, this, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God. Do you see this connection? I've got to elevate Jesus to the place of being God because he has been demoted in the minds of people who've received demonic doctrine. That's why when I say in Jesus' name, you demon, come out. A moral teacher. Now, if I said in the name of Nietzsche, 
no demons coming out in the name of Nietzsche. In the name of Jordan Peterson, nobody, no demon comes out. But in the name of Jesus, you could say in the name of George Washington, ain't nothing gonna happen. You can say in the name of Donald Trump, ain't nothing gonna happen. But you say in the name of Jesus. I know that there's political division. I know that we're getting ready to go into, I know that civil war was declared a couple days ago. I know that it's coming. But did you know that Nero, the emperor, was literally burning down Rome during the first century while the book of Mark was being written, but there is no historical record in the book of Mark about what was happening politically because the gospel was more important than what was happening politically. You don't even know who Nero is because when you read the book of Mark, all you hear about is Jesus. Nero was the emperor who was burning Rome and blaming it on first century Christians. And while the book of Mark was being written, he said, it's not even worth a footnote in the story of Jesus. And you got Christians that utter the name of a president more than their king and then wonder why their kids don't serve the king. You got Christians doing more research into a conspiracy theory than they do scripture and then run to wonder why opiates are ravishing this whole region. I need people that will go up to the high places and bring some powers down in the name of Jesus. And that, does that mean we don't vote? Does that mean we're not politically active? But some of you are politically overactive. When your thyroid's overactive, what does that do to your body? When your immune system's overactive, what does that do to your immune system? When you're politically overactive, you become supernaturally and spiritually underactive. It's time for people to rise up and make the gospel be known. You've recruited more people to a political party than you did to the kingdom in the last five years and the Lord is grieved by it we need Jesus just all I'm saying I would love out yet yeah, play that piano Elton John this boy's anointed he's flowing with me we and here's why I say it it's all proper order hear me are you guys with me do I want senators and, and, and governors and presidents to come out of this place? Absolutely. Do I, can you learn great moral lessons from Jesus? Absolutely. But seek first the kingdom and then all these things will be added unto you. And so it's like, it's like for those of you like, oh man, he just stepped on my toes politically. No, I wanna send you into politics with the right order of submission so you can be effective effective. So do you still love me? He's like the white people and the political people both left the church that Sunday. Now I know why he started his sermon about church attendance. Do you got, do I have five more minutes? Are you learning something? Are you learning something? I mean, I was funny when my office was next door to here. Uh, I got a, pr not a prank call. I got a telemarketer called me. And so I had Dylan Mello from our uh, worship team, and I had uh, Evan, Pastor Evan Wilson with me, and I said, guys, I'm gonna try to lead him to Jesus on the phone. So we start talking, and this guy, and then it comes out, he's like, I'm a Muslim. And I said, okay, let's talk. Like, you, let's talk. Let's, so we start going into the history. We start going into the scriptures, and this guy got so angry that he literally started cursing at me over the phone, and then he slammed the phone on me. And Dylan and Evan were like, whoa, that was crazy. <laughs> and, but I think the other conversation we had was how few Christians actually know the Bible to be able to speak into these things because we go to church and we hear this cotton candy, frou-frou, make you feel good, hype you up, hoorah, cheerleader, you know, you know what I mean? Like power of positive thinking stuff and we don't even know the Bible. We feel so passionately about you learning the Bible at this church that Pastor Daniel Santis takes my notes and translates them in entirely in Spanish and offers them on the app. So the Apostle Paul says, you're a great God. So we, here's the thing. Let me read you one more. It's, it says, 
but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And so there's kings and kingdoms, but they'll all pass away, but there's one king that will remain. And we must shift from the confession of sin to obedience to the commands of Christ. We had an era of confession, the Billy Graham era, where somebody in your generations went to a stadium and confessed, I am a sinner. They walked down the aisle. They said, I'm a sinner. But confession without repentance will still send you to hell. You've got pastors and preachers that don't believe in hell, but you got one in this pulpit that believes in hell. Hell is real. It's why I sold my house to plant this church, because I understood the reality of what would happen if I didn't surrender my life to teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hell is real. The consequences of sin are what we deserve, and no good people go to hell because nobody's good. That's the gospel. On your best day, you are a bad person, and you know what I'm talking about. And when you don't preach the reality of sin, you end up raising up a people ungrateful of the sweet savor of salvation. Have you ever eaten a meal after you've been starving? Doesn't it taste better? When you're aware of your own depravity, how deranged, how, how, how impossibly sinful you've become that you continue to go back to the devices you continue to go back when you realize that you are far worse than you could ever think or imagine then you discover that his saving grace is that much richer than you could have ever imagined and we've got churches that don't teach sin because the preachers are sinning we got we got pulpits that have to teach about grace every Sunday so that when you find out what they're doing, you'll stay at the church. But I'm here to tell you that this is not a call out. This is a call up because we will not nullify the cross by going back to vomit. Not at this church. I feel something in my gut right now. Do you feel it? I want a remnant church. I'll give me 200 strong instead of 200 weak, soft, don't believe Jesus, going back to sin, licking up vomit off the floor, and then obeying your master, the devil. I'd rather you find out you serve the devil now because I told you than you find out on judgment day because I lied to you. I'm waging war because something's in the balance right now. Do you feel it? People say, we don't have to live by the Ten Commandments. Well, there's 1,050 commands in the New Testament for the church. <laughs> oh, we don't, have, we, we don't have these commandments. So the Ten Commandments, Jesus came, we're living under grace. Yeah, guess what grace produced? Over 1,050 times the church was given commandments. Where, what happened to that? We must shift from responding to feelings and remaining faithfully obedient. Your feelings lie to you. Your feelings betray you. Your feelings are the reason why you hate your life because you followed your feelings instead of following Christ. Your feelings are the thing that's actually leading you down the wrong path. But if you will forsake your feelings and follow Christ, I'm telling you there's life and life more abundantly. But then when you get to the destination that your heart always longed for, you realize that the only true treasure is Jesus himself. So if Jesus is not the goal, you've got the wrong goal. The, greater, the greatest vacation is a clear conscience and a renewed mind. Oh, I'm gonna stay home from church on Sunday. Try that. The greatest vacation is a clear conscience and a renewed mind. There is no vacation like a cleared conscience. Do you know how hard it was for me lying to my wife all the time? Do you know how hard it was for me to be two people at the same time? Do you know how hard it was for me to try to be half in here and half in that? People say, I don't know how you and Julie do it. It's so much easier to be wholehearted than it is to be divided. You're frustrated because you're half-hearted. 
when you become wholehearted before the Lord, reckless abandon, it's hard to get drunk and then condemn yourself and then Satan grabs you, your old drinking buddy, and parades you around and says, yeah, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you'll never be anything, why do you keep going back? That's exhausting, but resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't mean God's gonna take a broom and shoo him away. You've got to resist him. What's your part? Resist. You're not going to want to stop doing it. You have to resist until it flees. People think that it's going to, the desire is going to disappear. The desire is not going to disappear. Your discipline's going to appear. <laughs> but when you go to a hyper grace church, Jesus does it all for you. No, Jesus said, no, this is actually an invitation. You see this cross I'm carrying on my back? Go get yours too. Go get your cross. Come on, you want to be like your dad? You go get your cross too. Oh yeah, we're not going to live like them. We're called out among them. We're the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. We're the assembly. We're different. We're different. Go grab your cross. Come on, let's hang out together. Let's hang together. You get it, Nick? Let's hang together. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from his home, but we've got Christians who are obsessed with travel. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from his home, but you have vagabond spirit, wandering, wanderlust, Christians who are always trying to escape instead of going deeper. You want to go farther, God's calling you to go deeper. He never left 200 miles, and you think New York's the problem? Use the problem. You think that where you live is the problem? I drove from Northwest Indiana to New York, and all of my problems were there when I got to New York. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles, but he changed the world because he wasn't trying to go farther. He was trying to go deeper. Who's ready to go deeper with me? I, I know today, I'm, I, I know I'm beating you up today, but I'm just drawing a dividing line. I've, I, we, our attendance is gonna triple in the next three months. People are gonna start coming from the north, south, east, and west, and when they show up, they're gonna meet a church that looks like the ministry of Jesus. It's not gonna look like, they were telling me, Pastor Mike, what do we do about this, this part of the wall that doesn't work? I said, I never cared about that wall. I care about their souls. I want a church that has the power over the production. Not production, but no power. I'll throw that in the lake of fire, but I want your soul going to heaven, and I want heaven coming down here to earth. And if you believe it, I wish you'd stand up on your feet and help me shout to the king if you're ready to surrender to the king today. Now, I'm going to give you 10 commands of Jesus. How many here are saying, Pastor Mike, I'm, I'm ready to be a real Jesus follower? Because you guys, the sheep of this house, as your shepherd, a delegate of the great shepherd, these people are manipulating you with politics. They are manipulating you. They are using you. They're selling you shirts. They're making you go to conferences and events. They're monetizing your manipulation. These other pastors and preachers and teachers are obsessed with dialing the environments in right and doing everything and putting it on. Make sure you play the music just right so that they can manipulate you into staying and giving your money. I'm trying to bring the real kingdom of God here. And this is not popular what I'm talking about, but I believe it's about to be popular because there's a sifting taking place. There's a sorting. And I want a church that when people show up, it's like, yeah, they have an LED wall, but that's the minimal. Not, that's, not, that's the jump off point. Yeah, they've got the environments and the greeters. Yeah, they've got all that stuff. Yeah, but there is something about this church where those people are real Jesus followers. The narrow way. First, Jesus says in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, he says, repent. Can I clarify something for our young people? Repent does not mean admit. It means don't ever do it again. These are the words of Jesus. If your hand is causing you to sin, chop it off so the rest of your body can go to heaven. I didn't make that up. 
That's not good moral teaching, is it? That's extreme. Why does our walk with Christ not look like the teachings of Jesus? Because we still have two hands and we've been sitting with these hands 20, 30 years in church. And woe is the pastor that raised you up to be that soft, that weak, that full of excuses. You give every excuse and every reason to Jesus why you go back and he cries out, but the cross was enough. The cross, just one drop of my blood was enough, but you didn't believe it. And he says, repent. Repent means, man, I don't know about you, but God's been doing something deep inside of me, man. You know you've repented when women start looking like daughters and not like a porn scene that you have in your head. You got more perverts in the local church than you do outside of it coming to manipulate. You know that God's doing something in your heart when you can look at men in this church and you can say, wow, I see the Father's heart. Repentance, repent, repent. This was what John the Baptist, the voice crying out in the wilderness, repent, repent, repent. They weren't asking people to admit they were bad and say no perfect people allowed. They were saying stop and say I'm giving up something good for something greater. Oh, being drunk, sex, fornication, adultery, all of it feels great, but I'm giving up that for something better. The love, the ecstasy, when he wraps his arms around me, when I feel his loving embrace, I would never do anything to forsake his embrace. I would never do anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two command of Jesus says, follow me, which is meekness. You know, meekness is not weakness. Matter of fact, the term meekness from the Bible was a, war, was a term used for military horses. And when a general was on a war horse, that horse had to be meek, which meant that he could ride it into a war zone and override the fears of the horse because the master was in control bridling that horse into war. So meekness said, that horse is not led by its feelings. That horse is not led by what it sees. It leads by the reins and the bit in the mouth of the horse, pulling back the head of the horse to say, we're riding into battle. And some of us are a, are, are a wild horse that needs to be broken and made meek before the Lord, that he bridles our tongue, puts a bit in our mouth, and reins back our head. And if you violate the conscience of the Holy Spirit inside of you, eventually... He will turn you over to yourself. And the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that God turns you over to yourself. Because, and sometimes what you want the most is a blessed life. And he'll give you, he'll turn you over to yourself and the devil will give you a blessed life to make you more prideful. And you'll say, see, I used the moral teacher's moral teachings and his leadership lessons to get this good life. He's really not the savior. And then you'll find out on the other side what the truth really was. Number three, the command of Jesus is rejoice. Matthew chapter five, verse 12 says rejoice. Somebody say rejoice. This also must be a command because nobody feels like rejoicing all the time. When you follow Jesus, he'll say, Jesse, rejoice. You wanna be my follower? Rejoice. How many of you have ever felt like it's harder to rejoice than it is to repent. And then I feel like it's easier for some Christians to repent than rejoice, but you see the balance to follow Christ is to know how to repent and to rejoice. And you've got believers that only know how to repent, don't know how to rejoice. And then you've got Christians who know how to rejoice, but don't know how to repent. Guys, is this bringing so much alignment? Do you guys feel like you are really breaking into the next level? Because the Lord gave me this for you. Here's another one. Let your light shine. Be generous with all you have. Number five, choose the narrow way. Why is it narrow? Because it's unpopular. It's narrow because it's unpopular. It's narrow because nobody wants to do it. It's narrow. That's why it's narrow. It's a narrow path, but the command is choose that way. Choose that way. Here's another one. Be reconciled, which is take responsibility. Here's number seven. Pray for laborers. That's a command. 
We need laborers to harvest this harvest that the Bible says is white and it's ready for the sickle. Does anybody believe that the harvest is ready? That's why I've been telling our V1 college students every Saturday, push, invite people to church because there's a harvest. That's right. We have to pray for more laborers. But we've gone to churches where the pastor says, oh, there's one of me. That's enough. And Jesus said, it's better that I go because you'd receive the Holy Spirit and you all will be empowered. But most pastors say, no, it's better that I stay so I can, my head can get bigger. See, it's, we have to say, God, here am I, send me, and I'm praying for more laborers. Anybody praying for laborers? Number eight, Matthew chapter five, verse 37 says, keep your word. Jesus commanded that we keep our word. What if that's what you were known for? What if that was your superpower, that you're known for keeping your word? I said it, I'm gonna do it. You know where I learned that? My dad. My heavenly father keeps his word. I'm keeping my word. People come and they say, the Holy Spirit told me to go to your church. And then five weeks later, the Holy Spirit told me to leave. Really? The Holy Spirit never told you to do anything you don't want to do? Not the same Holy Spirit I serve. When did the Holy Spirit tell you to submit? When did the Holy Spirit told you to commit? When did the Holy Spirit tell you to, to, to believe something different than the first thing you believe? What if the first thing you believe was not the right thing? When did the Holy Spirit ever teach somebody? You Because the Holy Spirit treats me like that. Anybody else serve the same Holy Spirit I do? That'll tell you. I'll tell you, what if your pastor was right? Holy Spirit, 99% of the time that's in other people never says that. But what if the Holy Spirit said, hey, on this one, I want you to trust the leader that's been in prayer and fasting all week. And I know he had to make a hard call, but I'm with him. He's been fasting all week. I know you don't understand. In three years, you'll understand. Man, I'd love for you to meet that Holy Spirit because right now your Holy Spirit's selfish. It's a false Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit tells you to run. And, but that's the same Holy Spirit that was manifested as Jesus that never left 200 miles away. The, you get what I'm saying? Are you all still with me today? Last couple ones. Number nine, watch and pray. The Lord is getting ready to wake some of you up in the midnight hour. I heard that in my spirit. Some of you are starting to get woken up in the midnight hour because you have special assignments in prayer. Some of you are gonna have dreams that wake you up. How many of you have ever been woken up by the Lord? Some of you, it may have been a while, but you're going to get woken up with special assignments. You're going to say, come on, come on, I want to tell you something. Come on, I want to show you something. I'm doing something in, in the earth right now. I, I need somebody to join with me. Come on, come on. Who, who's willing to be woken up and inconvenienced? Who's willing? I'm trying to get you guys an army in shape. You know, when you go to boot camp, they make you run farther than you want to run. They make you do more than you want to do, but that's how you become fit to do it. And I'm trying to push you and provoke you to go farther. I'm trying my best, God. I'm trying my best, God, with your people. Is there anybody who says, convenience me a little bit, God? I'll wake up for an assignment. But the problem is, because we put so much celebrityism on this stage, the only assignment we want happens here. What if we said, Holy Spirit, wake me up in the midnight hour and let me do the work nobody sees? Watch and pray. Now, if you missed that, the disciples did too. They got rebuked for that too. Last but not least, love your Democrat enemies. Love your Republican enemies. Lo love your white enemies. Love your black enemies. Lo oh, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. Love your enemies. Love, love, love them. Don't tolerate. Tolerate's what the world says. Jesus says love. Oh, oh, yeah, we want tolerance. No, you don't. You just tolerate your own opinion. That's the world's version of tolerance, right? Tolerance is their synonym for shut your mouth. Because what they're really telling you is believe what I believe, but we don't tolerate. We love our enemies. We love our enemies. That's a command. Love our enemies. Last thing I want to say, and we're closing out. Recently, I took a DNA test. 
You know one of those spit tests? Now there's some explaining to be done in my family. We're working on that. <laughs> but the DNA doesn't lie. You know, you come from a family and they'll tell you, we got Native American in our family and the whole, the whole thing's decked out with dream catchers and all this other demonic stuff. We're like, oh, we're Native American. You get the DNA. And they're like, that's a lie. You just tan a little bit because you got Neanderthal in you. <laughs> but I was amazed and marveled and confused by my results. I started this sermon by saying that there are no archaeological remnants that prove the existence of Jesus. And there are only two historic accounts, and both of them are hotly debated by scholars as to whether or not they were changed by first century Christian uh, writers. But I will tell you this, the DNA doesn't lie. The DNA doesn't lie. When I got the DNA test, you know what it told me? Italian, Irish, and uh, German? I'm like, what? Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah. Abernee's so good. And then it said that three, four generations ago, this was the part that amazed me. It said, two generations ago, you had an ancestor that was 100% Italian from Sicily, which we know is true. But it said four generations ago, you had, uh, you had an ancestor that was 100% African. Now, here's why I say that. The DNA doesn't lie. So the thing is, if you're looking for archaeological evidence, if you're looking for historic evidence that Jesus existed, I dare you to look at the DNA of his children. Because when you look at his children, you'll say, I see Jesus in them. When he commanded demons to go and the demons left. And then now Sandra, his daughter, his great, 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 great granddaughter is in New York saying, go. And the demons go just like their dad. The DNA doesn't lie. You'll know that they are children because the DNA doesn't lie. And it'll say somebody in your bloodline was one. 100% God. It must have been Jesus. Somebody in your DNA was 100% the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And the DNA doesn't lie. They can tell you that you're an alcoholic. They can tell you you'll always be depressed. You can decorate your house from a culture that's not in your DNA, but the DNA doesn't lie. Jesus is in my DNA. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The DNA doesn't lie. The DNA doesn't lie. The DNA doesn't lie. He took his cross. I'm taking my cross just like my dad took his cross because the DNA doesn't lie. Where did I learn how to do this? I'm like him. I'm like him because he's in me, through me. I wish you would worship with me right now. I wish you would sing it out. The DNA doesn't lie. Rededicate, rededicate, rededicate to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Repent, repent. This is a turning point. He's drawing you now. Repent, repent. Come to him. Come to this altar. Somebody needs to run to this altar. Run to this altar if you need to repent. This is your time. Come on. Come on, who's ready? If you want to be a burning one and you're ready for a next season, come on, look at this woman. She's weeping. I want somebody to run to this altar and say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I want to see who the prophet Isaiah is in this house. I want to see who's ready for the next level. Is there somebody that would come forward and say, that's me. That's me. I want to be a burning one. Oh, come on. There, well, look at this. Come on, is there more? Is there more? Because guys, I want to know who wants to really follow Jesus with me. Come on, wave to me if you want to be a real Jesus follower. Come on, wave to me if you're done with that sin. 
you know what the Bible says you know what he says I'm giving it up I want a church of repentance I want to be a church that knows how to turn and say Jesus I want to burn for you I want to burn for you come on look at this man Come on, this is what revival looks like. Revival isn't make me feel good. Revival isn't tickle my emotions. Revival is repentance. Revival is laying down our agenda. Look at them coming. Revival is saying at a 9 a.m. service, I wanna be like Jesus. I want my DNA to be engrafted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, there's more, there's more, there's more. There's more. That's it, Bree. Wow. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Okay, everybody watching live online, everybody here in the room, we're going to pray together. And I want you to borrow my words but make these the words of your heart because I, I'm going to speak prophetically because people are still coming um, God is asking you to give up people's opinions now I feel that do you feel that do you feel that I'm bearing witness you have cared what your family oh my family's Catholic they, they think I'm crazy for going to this church but your Catholic family doesn't even believe in Jesus Christ your Catholic family doesn't even go to church your Catholic family abandoned God a long time ago and they're just pressuring you they're putting pressure you go back to your Catholic family and say I met the Jesus that was depicted on that wall but he's not on that wall anymore he walked into the room and he's in my heart and I serve him with my life you've got to be willing to give up the opinion of your family in this next season this man is experiencing a personal revival up front this is how you save a nation this is how you rock a foundation this is revival repentance saying I want to be a Jesus follower I don't want to be Pentecostal. I don't want to be charismatic. I don't want to be Methodist. I don't want to be Presbyterian. I don't want to be Catholic. I want to be a child of God. I want to be a child. The DNA doesn't lie. Come on, there's more. There's more, come up, come up. The blood.